the United States Supreme Court, in an eight to one decision, just ruled that Congress can provide lesser benefits to people living in Puerto Rico than people living in the states of the Union. Plaintiff's counsel, Herman Ferre, argued before the court that his client was being excluded from certain federal benefits based on his race. Did the United States Supreme Court just rule that Congress can exclude certain people from certain kinds of benefits based on their race? The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. So, is the Supreme Court's decision really about race? No. (laughs) Not even a little bit. We're going to start with the least relevant factors, moving up to the most relevant factors concerning the Supreme Court's decision. So, we're going to start with this. People will say, well, don't the people of Puerto Rico pay federal taxes? The answer is no, they don't. They're actually exempt from federal taxation. Let me give you an example. The United States income tax is operative in Puerto Rico. However, as applied to Puerto Rico, it uses something called the mirror system. And what that means is the entire, the entirety of the, the massive entirety of federal income tax laws apply to Puerto Rico. However, under the mirror system, this is what happens. Every, every relevant place in the statutes that says United States, as in the U.S. Treasury, the United States, that is pulled out and you insert the words Puerto Rico. So while there is an income tax operative in Puerto Rico, 100% of the income tax collected from U.S. tax law operating in Puerto Rico goes into the Puerto Rican Treasury. It doesn't go to the U.S. Treasury. Now let's take a look at the factors that really drove the Supreme Court's decision. Number one, and I don't think people realize this, the possessions and the territories, Puerto Rico, Guam, Virgin Islands, American Samoa, etc., they are owned by the United States. They belong to the United States. So so did you think I'm making this up? Let me actually read this to you. In the United States Code, Title 48, which is entitled Territories and Insular Possessions, Chapter 4 is entitled Puerto Rico. And the first section, 731, reads as follows. The provisions of this chapter shall apply to the island of Puerto Rico and the adjacent islands belonging to the United States. That language is not an oopsie. It's not an accident. It's not an oversight. It's a legal reality. The possessions and territories, in this particular case, we're talking about Puerto Rico, they belong to the United States government. They are the property of the United States government. By contrast, do the states of the Union belong to the United States government. No, just the opposite. The states actually created the federal government. The citizens of the states of the Union are what is referred to in the preamble of the Constitution as we the people, a phrase you're all familiar with. The citizens of the possessions and territories are not we the people as expressed in the preamble of the Constitution, which is why possessions and territories, which includes Washington, D.C., by the way, 
do not have representative voting representation in Congress. Another way to put it is they're not a party to the contract known as the U.S. Constitution. I'm going to say it another way, which will probably rub a lot of people the wrong way, but it is nevertheless factually accurate. People of the 50 states of the Union are the sovereign citizens. They are citizens of their states of the Union, and according to the United States Supreme Court, that then gives them uh, certain prerogatives and privileges under the United States Constitution on a national level. But they're citizens. The people in the possessions and the territories are actually although they're referred to as citizens, we're going to get into this in a minute, they are actually subjects, just like in the days of old, people were subjects of the crown. No different legally speaking. Citizens of the possessions and territories are subjects of the United States government, where people in the 50 states are citizens. I know that in, here in the 21st century, that sounds harsh. It is nevertheless the legal reality. The Constitution explicitly provides certain authority over the possessions and territories. In Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2, it states, quote, the Congress shall have power to dispose of and make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to, or we heard that before a moment ago, the United States. And here's how this plays out in a legal sense. According to the United States Supreme Court, when governing for the possessions and territories, Congress may do anything, anything, all needful rules and regulations. The Supreme Court has said Congress can do anything it wants with the possessions and territories, provided that it doesn't try to do anything for which Congress is specifically prohibited in the Constitution, which is just a couple of things. So in a very real sense, Congress rules the possessions and territories the same way the kings of old used to rule their countries. But Dave, you say, aren't citizens of Puerto Rico and Virgin Islands and so forth, aren't they citizens of the United States? Well, yes. Yes, they are. But you probably think there's just one class of citizen in the United States, because that's typically how we're raised in the government school system to believe all citizenship is the same. There's just one that is not remotely constitutionally accurate. From the founding of the nation uh, through the end of the Civil War and the adoption of the 14th Amendment, there was indeed one class of citizen. That was a citizen of the states of the Union, as I mentioned earlier in passing, uh, according to the Supreme Court, being a citizen of a state of the Union vested you with certain federal privileges and prerogatives. That was all derived from your citizenship in the state of a Union. All right, so I'm going to try and do this really quick. And by the way, I'm going to put some links that are educational about this subject down in the notes if you want to know more, but I'm going to give you the, short, the quick and dirty on it right now. At the end of the Civil War, the federal government had a conundrum, and that was the freed black slaves had no citizenship because the state constitutions where they were born didn't allow for them to be considered citizens. And there was no such thing as revisionist history. Congress couldn't just wave its magic wand and say that, yeah, if you were born 30 years ago in Georgia, yeah, you're a citizen. That doesn't fly legally. So there had to be a solution. you got all these people who are now free, right? They've been emancipated. 
However, they're not citizens. And under Vattel's Law of Nations, which was being used then and is still used to this very day, there's only two classes. You're a citizen or an alien. So here's the way this broke down under law. The freed black slaves, because they weren't citizens, under Vattel's Law of Nations, they were considered aliens. Okay, I know that sounds very bizarre, but it's exactly the truth. It's exactly how the legislators saw this at the end of the Civil War. They had all these people who were citizens in the North and, and the white people in the South who'd been born, their constitutions granted them citizenship. But then you had these emancipated people who were not citizens and therefore under Vattel's Law of Nations, they were aliens. Wow, quite a conundrum, yes? Because Aliens typically have an entirely different set of rights, in many cases, no rights at all, or minimalistic rights, in comparison to citizens. So, what Congress did was they went out to the states, and they, I'm not going to get into the controversy over the adoption of the 14th Amendment, but let us simply say that we ended up with something we now know as the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment created a second class of citizenship that is known as a citizen of the United States. And in the 14th Amendment, the meaning of citizen of the United States is we are now taking these free, these emancipated blacks that were born in the southern states that do not have citizenship, that are under Vattel's Law of Nations, considered to be aliens, and all of the white people, I mean, this isn't a racist statement, this is a legal statement. All the white people throughout the whole country, through their representatives in Congress now, by, by adopting and ratifying the 14th Amendment, all these white people are going to give these black aliens a form of citizenship under the 14th Amendment. Now, this sounds terrible, I know. I mean, it should have never been handled that way. Nevertheless, it is the legal and constitutional landscape. That's exactly how it was handled. So you've got what euphemistically called de jure citizens. That's the original citizens of the 50 states. And then you have the second lesser, I hate to say it, but it's legally true, lesser class of citizens referred to in the 14th Amendment as citizens of the United States. And again, if you have any questions about this, by all means, take a look at the links that I've inserted down in the notes, and I can go into a lot more detail. But there's some, some place you can look right now <laughs> to verify this. Uh, you can go to Title 42 of the United States Code, Section 1981, which is the foundation of all civil rights actions under federal law. If you go there, you will see it designates six and only six rights that citizens of the United States, 14th Amendment, have. Now, of course, the, through the incorporation doctrine, the Supreme Court has expanded that dramatically since then. But that was the very first piece of legislation passed that involved the 14th Amendment, the, the second class of citizen, the, the second as far as in, in the timeline, and also second as, regrettably, as in the amount of rights that the citizen has. But again, you go to 1981 and you see there are six rights that Congress vested in citizens of the United States. Just six. And more astoundingly than the fact that Congress thought it was okay to just give them six rights and call it good is it says that they are to have those six rights to the same degree as white citizens. Still there today. Still valid Still operative federal law. Again, Title 42, Section 1981. Look for yourself. Do not believe me.
And I share all of that to make the point that citizens of the possessions and territories are a form of 14th Amendment citizen. In other words, uh, for instance, I was born in California, so my, again, the, the euphemistic term, de jure citizenship, my original class of citizenship comes from my birth upon the land in one of the 50 states of the Union. However, somebody who is born in Puerto Rico or Guam or American Samoa or the American Virgin Islands, Wake Island, Johnson Island, or so forth, the possessions and territories, they don't have de jure citizenship. Their citizenship is not based on, again, Vattel's law of nation, your birth upon the land. Their citizenship is granted to them by the states of the Union, by and through the 14th Amendment. And basically what that looked like is, for instance, Congress looks out and says, okay, so we've got all these people who live in this place called Puerto Rico. They're not U.S. citizens. They're not born in the 50 states. So what does Congress do? By legislation, Congress pronounces them citizens of the United States. That's not how, if, you're in one of the, if you were born in one of the 50 states, that's not how you got your citizenship. It's not how I got my citizenship. Their citizenship is granted as a privilege. It is not based on their birth upon the land in one of the 50 states. And I know this sounds nutty because it's not taught in school, but it is absolutely legally and constitutionally valid, sound, right, proper, and correct. Now you can see the Supreme Court's 8-to-1 decision that Congress is free to dictate a differentiation in the benefits paid to people who live in Puerto Rico. By the way, this case will also extend to other possessions and territories, even though the, the plaintiff in this case was specifically a citizen of the United States residing in Puerto Rico, that citizen of the United States being a 14th Amendment citizen. So you can see that the Supreme Court's decision was about ownership was about the fact that Puerto Rico belongs to, it is the property of the United States. And as such, Congress can look out at anything going on in those islands and say, we don't have to make it equitable to what the de jure citizens in the 50 states of the Union are receiving. And there's a jurisdictional issue here. There was a Supreme Court decision that talked about the different role that Congress plays when legislating for the states of the Union and legislating for the possessions and territories. So not only is it ownership and belonging to, but also the ownership and belonging to issue then alters the manner in which Congress is permitted to legislate for the two different legal jurisdictions. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of information for a decision that I think most people aren't aware of, if they're aware of, don't care about. Um, but yet you see the significance, um, how much information the American public does not know about the Constitution, about how Congress functions, about the possessions and territories, about de jure citizenship and this other different form of citizenship known as 14th Amendment citizenship, euphemistically called citizen of the United States, and so forth. These are things that the vast majority of Americans should have been taught, but of course the government schools, they, yeah, they have no reason to teach the American citizens how government actually functions. They give them the, the little superficial lesson and then push them out into the world without actually knowing what's going on. In closing, if you value 
<laughs> Digging deeper, if you value finding out what's really going on rather than the superficial nonsense, I want to encourage you to go to drreality.news. Pick yourself up a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Myths or Body Science. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining them, but the quick and dirty is this. Income Tax Shattering the Myths looks at the history of the income tax from 1895 all the way through our current era. It looks at treasury decisions, treasury orders, statutes, regulations, decisions of the Congressional Research Service, internal documentations the IRS never thought it would get, that anybody outside the agency would get its hands on, and I did, and on and on and on. It's all their stuff. It's not me saying anything, by the way. It's them saying it, and it proves conclusively and consistently from 1913 forward, absolutely consistent, no question, all the way through to the current time, Congress never imposed the income tax on the average American. As a matter of fact, let me share just one brief fact with you. There are, I believe, nine treasury orders that designate who's to use a 1040. Uh, if you look at those nine treasury orders, the people who are to use a Form 1040 are non-resident aliens with U.S. source income or their agents or representative, period. End of statement, full stop. So how many treasury orders say that an American citizen living and working in one of the 50 states, that theme again, living and working in one of the 50 states earning their own domestic income or to file any U.S. income tax form. Zero. None. Bubkiss. In well more than 100 years, not one says that American citizen living and working in one of the 50 states earning their own domestic income is to file any form. Not one in more than 100 years. That's not an oversight. That's reality, and it's the kind of reality you'll learn in income tax shattering them. It's along with much, 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 much more. It'll, it'll blow your mind. Body science, same thing with what the government has done concerning programming, brainwashing might be a better word, the American people concerning physiology, most especially nutritional physiology, which has resulted in the U.S. population being the most chronically ill society in all of human history. Our technology, right? Our wisdom our intelligence, our scientific prowess. And yet, the United States population is the most ill society in all of human history. And the reason is they've been brainwashed with false, politically driven, purchased, fraudulent science for 60 years. And because it's been going on for 60 years, just like the income tax, right? everybody knows you have to file and pay, but that's not true. So the same thing with nutritional physiology in the United States. Because the lies have been going on for 60 years, the American public's perspective is, well, everybody knows saturated fat. Everybody knows saturated fat is bad for you. No! Saturated fat is amazing for you. Everybody knows you should eat a balanced diet. Not even going to get into that. Everybody knows you need fruits and vegetables, except that is absolutely physiologically bunk. It's nonsense. But you believe it because you've been fed the lies for 60 years. You can't even imagine that they're false because you and everybody else believes them to be true. Body science using human physiology and proven science including some of the most in-depth, most expensive and extensive human trials in mankind's history, shows that those narratives are completely false and always have been. In body science, I explain how the false narratives got started. Then I show you what human, how phys, human physiology actually operates. And, and it's so, so easy to be incredibly healthy like our ancestors were 100, 200 years ago. I mean, all the chronic diseases that are killing us today, they 
didn't exist before the 20th century. And living here in the 21st century, we can go back to being just as healthy as they were. The only difference is what you know. And right now, for the vast majority of the American public, what you know is the lies you've been fed for 60 years. Anyway, enough of all that. But if you go to drreality.news, grab yourself a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist and or Body Science, two of the most fascinating books you will ever read. You have my word on that. You also help me to continue to be here for you with these sort of fact-based presentations. Thanks for being here. 